I'd invite you to turn in your Bible with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. My heart has already been blessed just by the singing of the Word of God. These words are so good. They just lift up our hearts to the Lord. And that is just a blessing to us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son into the uh, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us the privilege of worshiping you. Lord, now as we come to your word, I pray that we would have attentive ears to hear what you have to say to us through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at the test for a true believer, what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And we've looked at 10 of the 11. We come today to the the final um, test. These are points of evidence, if you will, looking in our own uh, life with the Bible in one hand and the mirror in the other hand, looking and evaluating ourselves, self-examination, if you will. And it's going to produce two things. Either it will produce assurance. We, We look at the Word of God. We look at our life and say, yes, I see Christ reflected back into my life. These principles from God's Word back uh, that I, I see reflected in my life. Or it's going to be a wake-up call. And we're, we're going to uh, have to be f- face the fact that maybe God has not worked. And if that is the case, we, we have to ask ourselves, has God changed us from within? Has God given us a new heart? Have we had a new birth? And there's only one answer for that, and that is Jesus Christ. We come to Him. We humbly submit ourselves and follow Him. We recognize our own sinfulness, maybe even the sinfulness of playing Christianity, playing church, and coming before Him, turning to Him from our sinfulness to Him in faith. That's the answer. Two responses. One, assurance of salvation, or the second is uh, approaching him in humble salvation. Now we turn to the Apostle Paul, because I'm sorry, the Apostle John. The Apostle John has written this book of 1 John because he was facing some of the same thing uh, in the church, early church that we find that we're facing today. That is, unbelievers have crept into the church. And John is giving them a a doctrinal test or giving them a test, a moral test and a doctrinal test, pulling all of these things together. And it seems somewhat like a jumbled mess sometimes when you read it, but he's pulling all of these things together. And we see these 11, 11 tests, if you will. 
In John, we see him speaking as a, an elder father figure to the early church. He, he speaks like a father would to his, his children, just matter-of-factly. This is, this is the way it, it is. It's either black or white. It's you're in or you're out. Just very matter of fact. You're either a, a child of the devil or the child of God. Now, Paul, he uh, agrees with John and he, he goes a little bit deeper in John chapter 7. And we see uh, that, that there's deeper explanations of the uh, sin in a believer's life and those things. But John is clearly saying here that if you are claiming Christ, there better be some evidence in your life. There better be some, there, there must be life there, spiritual life. There has to be movement, right? We look for physical life when a baby is born. We have to have spiritual life when a new Christian is born. There has to be something there that wasn't there before. Spiritual heartbeat if you will. And that's kind of what we've been looking at. And John would say that there better be some love for God. We've seen 11 or 10 of the 11 things. There has to be a love for God, a love for God's word, a love for God's righteousness, a love for God's work, the things of God. There must be the evidence of the minister of the Holy Spirit in our life, the illumining uh, power of the Holy Spirit and and Him producing fruit in our life, godly character. There has to be, uh, we need to see answered prayer in our life. Whether it's yes or no, there's going to be answered prayer. And then we move forward with confidence, knowing that God hears our prayers. Now there's, also we have to see a a love for Christ. There has to be a, a longing for Christ's return. We see the early church said, Lord, come quickly. They they phrased it with one word, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord. There's a desire there to see Christ and Him return. Number five, there's a spiritual discernment in our life. Paul said that we have the mind of Christ. Number six, there has to be genuine desire for holiness, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, Christ would say. We have to walk in the light as He is in the light, as John has said. There also has to be a, an, a decreasing pattern of sin in our life. We just become uncomfortable in our sin. And then also an increased pattern of obedience in our life. These are things that we need to be looking for in our life. Do we desire to please God? Number nine, there's a, regrow, a growing rejection of worldliness. And the things of the world, the world's system, as we, as our minds are becoming more and more renewed with the Word of God, we wash that old philosophy out and we have, uh, we bring in a, a new world view, new culture. Number 10, that naturally leads to a distance between us and the world, the, the child of God and the child, and the, and the world. And so we're not to be surprised if the world hates us, Jesus said, and John as well said these things. Now we come to the last one, number 11. What do we, what do we evaluate? This is the last one that we would see in the book of First John here. And it has to do with love. Now we looked at love a little bit at the beginning, a love for God. And we saw that uh, in the, uh, the greatest commandment is in the Old Testament 
that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And also what we see uh, in the Old Testament and as well in the New Testament is that we are to love our neighbor as ourself. And Christ reiterated these things in, in, his, in, in his ministry in the New Testament. God has not changed His command. In the, in the New Testament, we see the same command. The expectation of God has not changed, and that is a heart of love. And that's a pretty high standard. We're to love others. Now, that's not... Uh, that hasn't changed just because there's a new covenant here. But what has changed, uh, by, the, by the way, we, we could not live up to that. Even in that Old Testament model, even in the New Testament, we have a hard time living up to that kind of model because sin in our own heart. We, we love ourselves too much to, to love other people as we as we should, and we fall short of the glory of God. And so, therefore, there's a, a need for a new, a new heart, a new capacity to love. And that's what happens, and that's why this is so key, because he gives us, at that point of, of uh, new birth, he gives us a new capacity to love. And we'll look at that today. We'll see that. And it makes us stand apart from the world distinguishes us from the world. So Christianity then is, is not just adding Christ or a bunch of rules, uh, Christ commands to our life. It's not just a one-time act of faith, but it's an ongoing lifestyle of faith. That's kind of counter, uh, counter to what we see in the church today. You see... People are not living a life of faith. It's a more of a one-time, easy believism. They're brought into the church and then, uh, then expected to, to be, act like Christ, act like Christians when they had no internal heart change. So we come to number 11 here. And, and here's the, the principle. We must see in our own life, we have to evaluate, to see the, the Word of God and in the mirror in the other hand, we have to see a love for others. That's very simple, a love for others. Particularly, what we see in our passages today, particularly a love for believers, a love for fellow Christians. So if God has worked in our life, the principle is if God has worked in a person's life, there should be some evidence of that. And God's biggest trademark is love and holiness, obviously, but love for, for others, and that corresponds with the holiness. There will be a love for others, and that gives evidence to the new life in Christ. Now, love is a little subjective, and like I said earlier, because of sin, the corruption of sin, we have to ask, what kind of love? It's a little subjective. How do we know if we're loving the right way? So we have to understand this love from a biblical standpoint. And we've kind of lost sight of that today. And I think the Christian church today has just kind of turned love into some kind of emotion, some feel-good emotion toward other people, but that's not at all the biblical model for love. So we have to ask the question then is, how do we love? What is a, how can we tell if we're, 
we're loving like we should. It's, it's kind of hard to evaluate yourselves when you don't know what the love is. What is biblical love? That's the bottom line. Now, John gives us in this passage, John gives us three elements of biblical love, three things that biblical love is. And it's consistent, really, with the whole of Scripture, with the, all, all the teachings of Christ. And we, uh, we'll look at a lot more passages than just here in the book of 1 John, but he lays it out so well here. Now, the first principle, first thing, love, biblical love, real love is from God. And that's so key. It's so important. Look at our passage again. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. There's our command. For love is from God. Love is from God. Now, don't underestimate that. That is huge. Love is from God. Verse 10, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the perpetuation for our, for our sins. He loved us. It's from God. It's the same kind of love that he loved us. In fact, he goes on in verse down in verse 16. He says, we have come to know and have uh, have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who is who abides in his love abides in God and God in him. He states it clearly that God is love. God is the epitome of what love is, of what we're looking for in, in this love that we're looking for in Scripture. And, and it's the same kind of love that with which He loved us. It's from God. He says God is, God is love. Now, He's not trying to define Himself as love. God is more than just love. We can't read too much into it. Love is just a characteristic of God. We see in Scripture that God is also spirit. God is also um, God is also light. God is a consuming fire. But they are all in balance. All of these characteristics are in balance. They are perfect attributes of God that are all in balance. In fact, I like what MacArthur said. He says. Love is inherent in all he is and does. Even his judgment and wrath are perfectly harmonized with his love. It's hard for us to even imagine that. Love and wrath coming together in perfect balance. That's what you see from God. God is love. He is the very epitome of love. The example that he sets for us is love. If you look down in verse 19, this is is what we see That we love because He first loved us. It's the same kind of love that He is uh, uh, has loved us. Then we, in turn, love others. That's how we know what love is. In fact, what we see in Romans chapter five and verse eight, you say, Paul says, "But God demonstrated His love toward us." So what's that love look like? It's a demonstration here. Demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's a sacrificial kind of love. Not something that we earned. It's not something that we've deserved. It's completely of his grace. In fact, we were still sinners. If you look down in verse 10 of that same passage, for if while we were enemies... 
We were reconciled to God. So here we are. We're fighting God. We're sinners. We're enemies against God in rebellion against God, fighting God. And all of a sudden, he reconciles us to himself. That's love. That's grace. Something we did not deserve that he gave us. In fact, it's a love of choice. He just decided to do that. It wasn't that we were such nice people that he wanted to do this. No, he says we're going to do that even when we were Enemies of the state. Enemies of God himself. We were not even uh, in peace talks with God. We were not even at the table. We were still in the battle. We are still rebelling against God. We were not even worth his time, but he was gracious to us. We get everything and he gets nothing out of the deal. We add nothing to God. He just is displaying His glory through us. That's love. That's love. Self-sacrificial love. A love of of just choosing. I'm going to choose. In spite of the, the character of these people, in spite of their sinfulness, I'm choosing to love. Now, what does that show? Number one, it shows that that love is just a trademark of God. That's what, that's what He, that's what we see. He is not some dispassionate God. He is not some stoic up in heaven. He is not just this computer type personality that uh, he he doesn't get uh, give any compassion to anyone. He is not some cold, still logic that he views this world by. But he is compassionate. He's compassionate. This compassion is not out of control. It is, uh, it is a, a compassion that is, uh, that is deeply emotional, but it's held in check. This compassion is held in check. This compassion is held in check by His will, by His plan, His purpose. God is a task-oriented God. He, he is driven and Namely, by the redemption of man. That's what drives him. The the redemption of man. That's his purpose. That's what he's doing. All of this for is to redeem man. And again, a demonstration of his love. Even to the point of sacrificing his own son. Folks, that, that is love. He is driven by... Uh, his decreed will, his redemption of man, and all of that was established before the foundation of the world. And this kind of love has transformed us. This same kind of love that he is, his, he, that is in his very nature, that is in his character, is transferred to us. And so now, as new believers, as we have now believed in Him, we have experienced that kind of love, that kind of sacrifice, that kind of grace in our life, that kind of forgiveness. And therefore then, we in turn have the ability now to have that kind of love to other people. That's exactly what we see. Exactly what we see. We have a new capacity. I love what John, uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He says that God has poured His love out in our lives. That's a new capacity. We have a new love. And it's going to be seen. Peter says, Peter says that uh, 
we have the very nature of Christ. And so now, folks, we are motivated to live a life of love for other people. It's not something that we've earned or deserve. We don't live our lives in order to gain favor with God. No, we live in uh, our lives as uh, with this new capacity to love in appreciation. In gratitude toward what, or for what God has done for us. We have a new capacity. That means we're not self-centered anymore. We're free from that kind of slavery to sin. We are God-centered. We are servants of the Most High God. Now let that sink in. Let that sink in. The, the, um, what we need to think about though, is what kind of love this is. What kind of love? Now let's just think about this. This does not mean that he takes all of our problems away. It doesn't mean he takes all of our problems away. This isn't uh, dealing with my felt needs. Not dealing with my felt needs. He doesn't take all of our problems away. He could do that, but he doesn't do that. It doesn't mean that he takes our, away our personal responsibility. We still have personal responsibility to him. We are his servants. We keep his commandments. We are still following him. There's still a cost to the Christian life. It doesn't mean that he gives us everything that we want. No. We live a, in light of this greater good. This greater good. Here's what it does mean. Let me say this. It means that he has met our, our greatest need. And that is, that is, our worst enemy is death, and he has taken death away from us. And he has done what is best for us. Even when we didn't realize it, even when we don't sense it in any kind of felt needs kind of way, he, he's looking after us, the greater need. It's like a, a little girl playing a tea party, having a tea party on a train track. Doesn't, doesn't, is completely unaware of the danger there. And the little girl spills her tea. And she wants you to come and, and clean up her tea. And, and she, her need, to her need, uh, to herself, her need is the, the spilt tea. That's what we are. We, we have these felt needs. But the greater danger is, is death and it's coming. And Christ spared us from that. Folks, that is love. He sacrificed his own son for us. That is the demonstration of love. Now, here's the application. We adjust to that kind of love. We don't live in the felt needs kind of love. We, we, don't, we don't get wrapped up in that. Of course, it's, there's there. There's going to be needs. But we live in light of that greater need. So we adjust to, his, uh, to what he has done in our lives. That means that we don't go to God and say, you know, God, I appreciate the whole salvation thing, but here's my love language. If you really want to show me your love for us, here's what I want you to do. That's not, God is not our, our, uh, just our puppet to do whatever we want. No, he's done the greater good for us. That's what love is. The greater good for the other person. That's what we're concerned about. The greater good. Not just the felt needs. Felt needs are important. We'll look at those. 
But the spiritual need is the greater need. So biblical, true biblical love comes from God. It's a specific kind of biblical love. Number two. Number two. Love for others is evident then in our life. Love for others is evidence that God, I'm sorry, that God has worked in our life. Now, let there be no mistaking about this. John is very, very clear. He repeats himself over and over and over again. Let's go back to our First John passage. In First John chapter 2, verse 7, chapter 2, verse 7, Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you. This is something you already know. This is not a new commandment. We have already heard this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's something we already knew about from the Old Testament. But I, but an old commandment, which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him. That's in Christ and in you. This is a new commandment because you have a new capacity here in Christ. It's true in him and in you because the darkness has passed away and True light has already come. What is darkness? That's the old, unchanged life. The light has come. That's Christ bringing us this new light. This new, changed life has already shined. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. Still in darkness. He's still with an unchanged life. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. It's a new commandment in the sense that we have a new new capacity to love one another. We have a new ability to love one another. Now, Look over at chapter two, 3, verse 10. I want to move through these passages fairly quickly. At the end of that chapter, he says, Nor the one who does not love his brother. Does not love his brother. This is so crucial to him. Verse 14, he says, We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren, and he who does not love abides in death. There's a changed life that takes place here. Chapter 3 and verse 23. This is the commandment that we love, that we believe in the name of the Son of God and the Son of Jesus Christ. The love and the love and love for one another, just as he has commanded. It's a changed life, brings about this kind of love. Chapter 4 verse 7, we already saw this. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And everyone who is born of God knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Chapter 19. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And the one who does not Love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him that we love one another. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever 
believes in Jesus, is the, that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. There's a love for the believer, for the other children of God. It's just, it's just there, folks. Now, this is based upon, this is the Apostle John speaking, and John got his teaching from Christ himself. So if we go back to the teachings of Christ, I want you to see these things. Because I want you to feel the weight of this. This is no minor command in Scripture. John chapter 13, Christ himself was teaching his disciples. And he says, verse 34, he says, The new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's within the church, that's among believers, we are to love one another. In chapter 15 and verse 12, this is the commandment that I... That you love one another just as I have loved you. And verse 17. This is the commandment which I, that uh, you love one another. Chapter, Romans chapter 13 and verse 8. Paul teaches the same, same thing. This is nothing new in the New Testament. Owe no one anything except love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. The the very fulfillment of the law comes down to one thing, and that's just loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. It's love. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul tells the church at Thessalonica. Verse 9, he says, Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourself are taught by God to love one another. Is it important in Scripture? I think so. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Peter The Apostle Peter, taught by Christ again, since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your soul for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Man, he's getting very specific there. And then you see the same thing in 2 John chapter 5. Now, why do we love? Let me give you quick reasons here. Because God has worked in our heart. Number two, because God has given us the example. This is what He's done for us. It's an example. So He's changed our heart. He set an example of love before us. And then number three, we can see in Scripture that it's just a witness to the world. The world can't see God, but the world can see us. And he, they, the world can see our love for one another, and that's an attraction to the world. And then we love because it's... A, because it's assurance to our own heart. We have the very nature of Christ, Peter says. Now, you say, well, if this is a, if this is something that God has wrought in our heart, it comes naturally now to the believer, why command it? Why is it a, a command? John is not commanding it in the sense that you, you, you don't do this and you need to do this. He's saying this needs to become a habit. A practical, habitual thing in your life. It needs to become a lifestyle. That's what he's saying here. Christians have this new capacity. It just needs to be built in. We have to be taught how to love. 
How to love a husband. How to love a wife. How to love church family. We have to process that. We have to think, okay, what is the highest good for this person right now? And you have to process those things and and then you have to implement them. How do you love a a boss, a needy Christian, an enemy? How How do we put those things into our life as a lifestyle? So we are to love the brother. It's not just our best friends. No, sometimes these are unloving, unlovely people. We may not even see eye to eye. We may not even get along with those people. But we were, we must be willing to die for those people. And sacrifice ourselves for those people. For the greater good of those people. The early church knew this. What did they do? One of the first things, the, the reaction of their heart was to sell their land. To, to meet the needs. There were people that were starving right there. Meet the needs of the church. And so they would bring money to the church. Now, this thing goes against our old nature. It's not natural. The world sees that. The world sees this and and says, man, I want to be a part of that. It's a witness to God, a witness to uh, the world. But it goes hand in hand with our new nature, doesn't it? It goes against our old nature, but it goes hand in hand with our new nature. When God works in a heart and he changes a heart, then we love. That means, lay this out for us. That means there's no room for bias, folks. There's no room with what the world is struggling with right now. And that's the prejudice in people's heart. There's no room for that. Black, white, male, female. All of the the problems that we have today. The bigotry. The demanding personalities. No, we have a new nature. We have new capacity for compassion for people. We sense they're hurting and the difficulties of their life, we sense the sacrifice. We sense the need for sacrifice. We have to be. We have a, a new capacity to to discipline ourselves, to to pull back and and not hurt other people, not offend them. So love is from God, and those who love have the same kind of love that God has, and and they actually. Love, because that shows evidence that God has worked in their heart. Let me give you one more point. Biblical love is demonstrated. It just is. Biblical love is demonstrated. It's not, oh, I love you guys. I love you so much, but I'm not going to do anything to show it. That's not biblical love. It's not some kind of emotion. Biblical love shows. There's a demonstration of this. Now, if you go back to our First John passage, First John chapter three verse sixteen, he's very clear on this. We love because we love, and we know love by this that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, for each other. It was demonstrated to us, and we need to be able to demonstrate it to the brother. That's the greater cause. I'm willing to die for you. That, that's the greater cause. But you can't really see that. Now, notice John's logic, though. Here's what he says next. But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother in need and closes up his heart, that's this heart of compassion against him, how does the love of God abide in him? How, how can you say that you can have the same compassion of Christ when you hold your heart back, when you pull your heart back? Little children, let us love 
Let us not love with word or with tongue, but with deed and in truth. That's the kind of love. It has to be seen. It can't just be told. It has to be demonstrated. No demonstration, no real love. That's that's what we see here. There's a, a practical side of love. Now, uh, I liked this quote. A, uh, a claim to love God is a delusion. If we claim to love God, we're just fooling ourselves. It's a delusion if not accompanied by unselfish love for the brethren. We're just deluding ourselves, folks. We're, we're pretending. That's much of the world is just pretending. A good facade on the, uh, on, on the outside. And that's all it is. It's pretense. Let me give you three dangers just quickly, just by way of application. Three dangers that we see, that I see here in the church. Not just Daniel's Bible Church, but the church at large. I believe that we have a, a, a loving environment within the church. But I think sometimes the danger is, is we're so close-knit that we don't allow other people in. And that's a, that's a problem. We don't reach out to other people. We don't welcome them in. When they come through the door, do we meet them? Do we greet them? Do we say, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Come be a part of us. Do we talk to people? Do we invite them in? Do we want them to join us? Or do we just like our little click? That's a, that's a danger. We have to include other people. Number two, the second danger that I see. And this is in missions. And this was brought to my attention the other day in a on a conference call, a bunch of guys just getting together. We're just talking about these things. And this missionary is sharing with us his, his concern with what he is seeing in missions today. And that is uh, humanitarian aid is now competing for the, with the gospel, for resources and for people, young people that are going into missions are not going to, to plant churches. They're not going to share the gospel. They're going for more for humanitarian needs. The greater good, folks, is the gospel. All of the things that we do is to point to the gospel. One thing, Jesus Christ, that's the greater need that the world has. And we're shooting ourselves in the foot if we take on these these secondary issues of trying to feed the world or get rid of hunger in the world. Those are good things. And we address those in appropriate places. The greater need is the sharing the gospel and planting churches. That's the greater need. We we dare not tie up all of our resources in just the humanitarian, making people uh, well uh, or or feeding people. All of the church's resources seem to be going toward those things. And and, uh, that was the concern that this guy was having. And they... They uh, had kept records now for 10, 15, 20 years, and they see this, uh, this, uh, the trajectory of this is that the world, the uh, Christian community is going to lose resources. All of the resources are going to go toward just healing people, making people feel good, dealing with felt needs rather than the need of the gospel. And here's what happens, and we've seen this, and I've known this, I've seen this with my own eyes. Missionaries go into a, uh, American missionaries. I'll say that American missionaries go t- into a place, and and people know they see money. They'll join that group 
Why? Because there's money there. There's, there's potential for money. There's potential for, for help and, and those kinds of things. So they'll raise their hand. They'll agree to anything. There's a danger there. It's just pretense. It's pretense. The emphasis has to be on the gospel. And if you go down that road, you're going to spend all of your resources, all of your time, all of your focus trying to do those humanitarian things. It's just a danger. Number three, there's also a danger. I think what we see in America today is just class warfare. And it's really amazing to me. I've seen this. I've seen this from both ends, the rich as well as the poor. But that's that's kind of what we see. See it so much here in America. And what happens is, is the politicians divide us between the rich and the poor. And, and it's easy to, to, uh, to, to just kind of follow along and, and to begin to hate the rich for being rich or, or the hate the poor or just uh, let the poor go by the wayside because we're rich, that kind of thing. And so the, the politicians kind of play that. So I want to give you some, just some quick tips on these things. Here's some brotherly love. This is addressing this class warfare. Number one, number one, is remember personal responsibility. The, the way that God provides for us is through work, our own effort, our own personal re- responsible, uh, being personally responsible for me and my family. That's the way, uh, that's the way the church was to work. The primary responsibility fell upon the husband to work even paul as a missionary he would have to stop every once in a while and 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 uh, uh make a tent and sell that tent for his own good for his own needs not dependence but personal responsibility number two is we have to remember the tenth commandment and we have to apply it to our life thou shalt not covet that's the that's the biggest thing about this class warfare is just the greed the coveting the coveting, I want what they have. Number three, learn to be content. Learn to be content. It's still a principle in Scripture. Number four, giving is need-based in Scripture. This is what we see. It's need-based. Here's what we. Here's what I. Here's what I need. When you see your brother in need, you you, you meet that need. Number number five, poverty is always going to be here. Christ said it himself. Our goal cannot be to abolish uh, abolish world hunger. It's just not going to happen. We can try and try and try, but there's always going to be that need out there. Number six is be generous then. Be generous. Be, be loving. Be giving. Proverbs says one gives, and, and you would think that he's going to run out, but he receives just as much. Be generous. Number seven, always Check your motives. Always be checking your motives. Is it love? Am I giving out of love or or to be seen? Number eight. Think locally when you're giving. Um, there's just a, a principle. There's something to be said when you help somebody out and you can see their face. There's there's just something to that. Christ said, "Lay up for yourselves." Treasures in heaven. How do we do that? By giving. By seeing the faces of the people that we're helping. And that's treasure. That's my treasure. I help them. It's laying up for yourself treasures in heaven. Number nine, remember hospitality. We provide. We provide meals for people as we see people in need. Number ten, 
Willing to sacrifice. Number 11. Give of our time. It's not just our money, isn't it? And number 12, the greatest one, I think, we have to remember the greatest need of man is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, we cannot be stingy with the gospel. They need to hear. Now, if God has worked in our life, folks, the world is going to see. There's going to be evidence of God's love in our life. It's just going to be there. Love is a part of the Christian life. Love is is going to be what we, we do. And we love in the same way that God loves. Now, so I have to ask the question. We'll just do this by application, by way of application. How do you line up? When you look at all of these, especially the last one, do you, do you see evidence of Christ's work, God's work in your life? Do you love the brethren? Do you love the brethren? It's clearly biblical. I've read so many verses today just to show This is not my words. This is God's word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, help us to live up to this lofty task of loving. Lord, help us to be loving people. Primarily, the the greater need of people's lives is just spiritual. Lord, they're, they're just unaware of the danger that they're in. Lord, may we get them off the train track. Lord, help us to also see the need. And Lord, give us a heart of compassion. Lord, we we want to be loving. And I pray that you'd produce in our hearts love and compassion. And then, Lord, produce in our church a, a love for each other that the world would say, I want to be a part of that group. Lord, what a joy it is to be a part of your family. To be adopted in. You've been so loving to us. So gracious to us. Undeserved. But Lord you're so kind. We thank you so much. We pray these things in Jesus name. Amen.